0: Welcome to the Her Inspired Journey podcast. I'm your host, Courtney Levesque. I'm here to bridge the gap for women in the outdoors, support families, and roll out your weekly dose of positive vibes. With almost two decades in the health and fitness world and an untamable passion for hunting in the outdoors, my mission is to help you move boldly in the direction of your dreams. Join us here weekly as we talk about fitness and mindset, accountability, as well as all things hunting and epic untold stories. Wait a minute. Before we jump into this episode today, I want to talk to you about her inspired fitness. If you're looking to get back in shape, regain what you once had, lose some weight, or really just work on regaining your focus and motivation, head over to herinspiredfitness.com. We have some great community blog pages, we have good resources, training tools, recipes, and of course, some of our stable programs to help you get back what you once had or regain your level of fitness. Now we've got core programs, we have lower body and glute programs, we have transformation programs, and we of course always talk about how to maintain and sustain a healthy lifestyle for the long haul. No quick give me no magic wands and no fancy pills to take just the good stuff that will help you truly implement and take charge of your health and your life. If you want to start living your best life right now, head to her inspired com. Dive right into this episode uh, with the whole shower bath vibe going on in the background so whatever it is what it is welcome to the show i've got Britt Lewick on the on did i say that right Lewick? yep yeah, yep yeah, Lewick. okay this is gonna be a good episode i'm ready for this are you ready for this i'm ready for this perfect so we are actually going to relive a very recent hunt that you just did um i'm not gonna steal any of your thunder tell us about you for just a second and then let's get into the nitty-gritty of this hunt brit
1: Yeah, I'm Britt Lewick. I grew up in Wisconsin. Um, I grew up playing soccer. I didn't really have any experience or um, people in my life that would expose me to the outdoors, such as like hunting, fishing, until I went to college. In college, um, I met a really good friend group and we just started duck hunting. I fell in love with the sport and bought my first bow in 2013 and It really just kind of spiraled from there. I graduated college in 2016, and then um, a couple of months after we graduated, my husband and I accepted a job in southeast Alaska working at a remote fish hatchery. And it was absolutely amazing where we lived. Um, And then we decided to start a family. We got pregnant. Wasn't really into that whole remote have-a-baby life, so uh, my husband's job switched over and moved us down to Portland for a couple of months and didn't take very long to know that we made a mistake leaving Alaska. So moved back up here and we've been in Alaska since 2019, bought a home, and we will not be ever returning back down to the lower 48.
0: I can totally see why. I've only been to Alaska three times, but it's, it, I mean, you can hear stories and you can watch things and all of that, but there's something about just experiencing it and it's so raw and it's so beautiful. Um, and it, it just seems like one of those never ending places. I'm, I'm glad to hear you guys are back there and enjoying life up there.
1: Yeah, it just it doesn't take much. If you've ever been up here, it just like captures your soul. If you're a mountain person, it's, it's hard to leave.
0: Yeah, for sure. So let's talk a little bit about your introduction to hunting. Didn't really grow up with it. Got a bow, kind of learned that over time with the friends group that you had. But what was like, did you ever have that hook moment where you're like, OK, this is totally my jam?
1: Um, yeah, I did. The So I started, I wanted to shoot a bow. I thought it was interesting. Um, I bought it, I think, very shortly after I met my husband. He had a bow. And just, like, having the precision of shooting a arrow down to a target. But what really, I spent hours one year hunting. And I... I finally got my first buck with a bow, and that was it. That was hooked instantly. I remember being in my tree stand, and this little buck too came in and I didn't know if I wanted to shoot him because he was little, but I was like, dang, this is my first deer and I'm shooting it with my bow. I uh, pulled back, he was like 20 yards from me and it was a perfect shot and he dropped and I just remember like my knees were shaking so bad. My husband was like, you got to get out of the tree stand go get him and I was like, I can't get out of the tree stand right now. My knees are shaking so bad. Oh
0: my gosh.
1: Like 10 minutes and uh, yeah, that that moment was just hunting, fishing, everything I knew was right up my alley.
0: That's so awesome, and it's hard sometimes. I feel like to, like, really describe to people who might be very new to hunting or don't hunt, you know, like why it is such an addiction. You know what it is that captivates you and reels you back in, and you know steals all of your thoughts. But there's so much about that, and I I love tree stand hunting too. Um, there's for me just the perspective of being a fly on the wall in the mountains, in the woods. For me, it could be birds, watching birds peck away at a tree or build a nest or watching deer move around. But there's just something about being, you know, this bird's eye view of life as it normally goes on. And I was actually just up shed hunting with my son and you probably do this too. I feel like outdoors men and women kind of have this kind of like weird thought process, but i can't tell you how many times i've been walking through the woods on a hunt shed hunting picking mushrooms whatever and i'm like what happens right here in this spot when i'm not here like what what have these trees seen before do you ever feel that way
1: absolutely all (laughs) the time you just like stop and you're like i wonder how many animals have walked through this point before yeah it's cool
0: totally yeah, that's awesome. Well, cool. So you actually drew a very very limited tag up there in Alaska off of Nunavak Island for Muskox. How yeah. long how long had you put been putting in for it? Like run us through all of this to help people really understand that this was like a very limited and really a, a lucky draw.
1: Absolutely. So Um, In Alaska, we have a lottery style drawing. So every time you put in for a hunt, you have the same exact chance. Um, I knew that at one point in my life, I wanted to hunt muskox. My husband was helping me put together all of my applications. He's like, you want to put in for muskox? And I was like, yeah, I'm not going to get it. But yeah, let's do it. So the tag is DX003. It is a bull muskox tag in Nunabak Island for the spring season. And this tag, there's 45 permits that are issued every year you have a 1% chance of drawing it. For some reason, they say that the first year you put in, you have a higher chance or it happens a lot where people put in for the first time and they draw. This is my first time ever putting in um, because we had moved. I lost my residency, so I had to wait a whole nother year to get residency back. Um, so I applied as a resident. You can get this tag as a non-resident as well. Um, but I put put in for the tag on February like 20th of 2020, um, the draw results came out and it said DX003, yes, for me. And I just remember like running upstairs to my husband and being like, oh my God, I'm shaking. I, I don't What is going on? I drew this tag and he's like, yeah. And I was like, like swearing. I'm like, oh my God, this is insane. And um, it, it was seriously so lucky that I drew it. I'm so grateful and thankful. It was an amazing experience
0: that is so cool I actually put in for that tag this year as well didn't draw it but that's okay because I'm about to live vicariously through you (laughs) okay so
1: you you one percent chance this tag um you have to call your transporter right away like figure out somebody who can take you yeah and the guy like he asked me he's like how long have you been putting in for and I laughed I was like one year and he laughed and he goes most people put in for 25 to 30 years before they ever draw
0: oh my gosh So did you also play the lottery, like the actual money lottery that day? Or were you just like, this is (laughs) the pinnacle, like this is the best thing? Yeah, that's funny. Yeah. So um, what goes into, I mean, we want to live the excitement with you, but now we're past that, right? So let's talk about like, okay, you call the transporter, you get your flight squared away, you have all the dates, got that figured out. Like what comes next? Like, how do you plan for such a big hunt? And with the conditions that you were gonna be going into
1: Yeah, so um, for those of you who don't know or don't have a map open in front of you, Nunavak Island is about six hundred miles um, west of Anchorage, so it's not north. However, it's an island on the Bering Sea, so it gets some nasty, nasty weather, especially in the springtime. Can get, you know, negative twenty out and like thirty knot wind, so it can make it feel like it's negative sixty or negative seventy out. Um, So knowing that I was about to get myself into a really cold situation, we had to definitely prepare with a lot of gear. Um, Before I kind of dive into everything, I want to preface what a transporter is and what a guide is. So You can use a transporter. A transporter in Alaska is somebody who literally just transports you around in the field, or you can have a full-on guide. So I paid to just have a transporter. Basically, when you fly into Nunavak, they have snow machines for you to use, um, and then they take you around the island. They can't help you at all with the hunt. They can't tell you what bull to shoot. They can't help you process it. They can't help you do anything. They can literally only just take you around. So... Um, the first thing that I did was called my transporter. I actually knew somebody who had done the same hunt the year before me, gave him a call. He t- told me Abe David was the, the person to go with. He had this amazing experience where he got to stay in a cabin and just like really get the entire Nunavik Island feel. So I knew that if we're going to do this hunt, we're going to freaking do it. Mm-hmm. So we uh, called Abe up and booked him for the end of February. I booked him for February 26th of 2021 so you plan this whole hunt a year in advance so um Taylor and I basically took an inventory of all of the gear we had I made a decision if I was going to shoot my bow or my gun and then I just you know my backup was going to be my gun so I, I did bring my bow I brought my gun and then um, diving into gear, I needed to make sure that I had the right boots because, like, I have a pair of Kentrix that I love, but they're not warm enough. So most people who go out to Nunavak use bunny boots, which is like a military rubber boot with wool in it. So I had to track down some of those. Um, I bought a new system of bibs and jacket. I got the First Light Sanctuary system. It's um, all down, and it's rated to, like, negative 20 and then um, I actually bought a down jacket to go underneath that as well. A balaclava for my face. You need snow goggles. And then you need you need to figure out where you're staying, all your food. So literally, it was it took months just to come up with just a gear list of what we needed to bring. Um, once we had our gear list, you have to start talking about logistics. How are you going to get all of this stuff out there? You got to fly with a lot of stuff. Once you get into you fly Anchorage to Bethel. Once you get into Bethel, you take a smaller plane into um, Nuna, or into Macoriuk, which is um, the village in on Nunavak Island. But you have a weight limit, so you can bring 80 pounds for free, and then you have to pay like a buck 37 or something like that for every additional pound. Hmm. On top of that, you can't fly with iso butane, so we had to barge out some fuel just to have jet oil fuel to eat so i mean there's a lot of logistics that go into a hunt like this and it took the entire year to figure everything out
0: wow what was the hardest part of planning
1: um so the transporter that we used and for most of them um they're kind of hard to communicate with most of them you can like give them a call but they're just a transporter so they can't really give you like any advice on like what should i bring should i bring water should i do this Um, they're they're really just there to when you fly in I'll be there to pick you up and then we'll make a plan and then you'll go on your hunt so the communication back and forth between the transporter and making sure that like I knew what I was about to get myself into Mm -hmm. that was the toughest part for us
0: did you just really lean into having conversations with people that had been there before to kind of like gauge the perspective of how the situation was going to play out
1: Yeah, so I had a couple of really long conversations with some male hunters who went the year before me. I think there's a local guy who went two years before me. So I sat down with him, watched a lot of, we watched the meat eater episode about muskox hunting and there's a lot of YouTube videos. So reading articles on Google, YouTube videos, and then personal contacts, just talking to everybody to figure out how people make this happen is exactly what we did.
0: Were there any recommendations that you, that kind of like stopped you in your track for doing a hunt like this?
1: Um, honestly, no. We just um, we just went to Kodiak on a goat hunt and had to do the exact same thing. It's because you can't ship some things. You got to go through the airport with weapons. You got to make sure your knives are all in the same spot. So nothing really, nothing really stopped me in my tracks. One thing that was interesting is that so when you're hunting a muskox, the best way to do it and the most ethical way to do it is to kind of surround them like you were a wolf pack and then you can move in on them. If you're using a bow, this is really the only way to do it because they'll keep running away from you. Mm. And when they run, they only run like 150 yards. But that was one thing that I was like, dang, I don't think I'll ever in my life hunt something that I have to surround like a wolf pack to get them to stop because it's... It's really like if you're hunting bison, if you see bison hunts like that, it's uh, more of a harvest than really a hunt.
0: Okay, so you knew going into it, I'm sure you did tons of research and talked to people, like, how do I do this if I play it out with my bow, if I end up having to, for some reason, grab my rifle. You had all those kind of scenarios. And I'm sure you do this with with your hunts. Like, every kind of different opportunity or option or scenario runs through your head. Like, it could go this way or that way, or, you know, this could happen or that could happen. Um, And sometimes I think we can kind of psych ourselves a little bit. Do you get into that kind of, um, like, leading up? up to the hunt where you're kind of psyching yourself in or out of the hunt
1: yeah so i don't know probably like five days before the hunt my husband and i were sitting down talking and um i have been like very clear that i wanted to use my bow i love bow hunting I'm never going to get the opportunity to hunt muskox again so I knew that I wanted to use my bow but I'm not negligent to the fact that there may be 40 knot winds and it's not ethical for me to shoot my bow at a muskox when I should just use my rifle so having that conversation on well should I use my bow should I use my rifle and like just battling that back and forth but really you just don't know until you're out there and you have a good weather window to go out and hunt yeah
0: Absolutely. Perfect. Okay, so you've got the transporter, you have your gear lined up. Did you feel like a bunny before you ask you another question? Like did oh, you Oh no. Like a really in all of those layers, you didn't feel like a giant marshmallow or a big fluffy bunny?
1: Yes. Okay. So I practiced shooting with all of my gear on at my house. And I learned very quickly that I was not going to be able to shoot with my hat on. Uh, For some reason, my hat was just throwing my shot off. So it was, I definitely felt like a marshmallow having my down coat underneath my sanctuary system jacket. I felt more comfortable with it off. So I was like that one. That was one thing that I battled, too, is like, um, I don't know if I should have my coat on or not because it's so puffy. And when you pull your bow back like that, you can shoot far to the right or left, depending on what hand you shoot with, just because you have an extra layer on your arm.
0: So did you have to change anything about your setup or your system with your bow to account for all the gear?
1: No. um So I did play around with it. I took my quiver off to see if that would help. But the only thing that I found was that I just could not shoot with my hat on because of a, a few of my anchor points. And then also my balaclava or my neck gaiter, I had to pull down so that I was able to anchor my thumb to my neck. So That was really the only thing I changed, but I was prepared to shoot with both of my jackets on. Um, And then my bibs, I couldn't have my bibs actually on my shoulders. That was one thing also that was throwing my shot off just because it was putting a little bit more tension on my shoulder. So I would just um, wear the bibs, zip them up, but not put the shoulder straps on. Gotcha.
0: Yeah. Interesting to think about that. I mean, and you, I don't think you really would think about all those different elements until you're out there trying to perform that. And uh, you definitely have to do diligence in the shot opportunities and practicing with your bow, how you're going to go out and shoot and I tell people a lot too, like, if you're going out to elk hunt, um, and you're hiking in like where your pack, you know, like you're not always going to have the option to dump your pack before you have a shot opportunity. So um, good job for practicing, you know how you play, so to speak. Um, Yeah. Talk about your arrow setup going into an animal that's so big. Did you have to change your arrow setup or weight or anything that you were shooting?
1: Yeah. So my bow, my goal when I first bought my bow was that I wanted to be able to pull back fifty pounds. In Alaska, you have to be able to pull back fifty pounds to hunt big game. When I first was 15, I was only able to pull back, like, 37 pounds. I was able to work it up to, like, 45. I think I got pregnant and I was, like, 50, but never really got to, like, crank it up. Started CrossFit two years ago, and then this summer I went to shoot my bow, and 50 pounds felt really light. So a couple of months ago, my uh, husband and I cranked it up to, it maxed it out. So I had it at, like, 68 pounds, and it was easy for me to pull back. So one thing I did before our hunt was... I had to reside in because I had jumped almost fifteen pounds. I was at like fifty, and then I jumped to like sixty-three comfortably. So that was one thing I um, I had changed. And then I did practice with broadheads on most of the time. I was first field tips, but switched over. I shot broadheads for about two weeks before we left for the hunt.
0: And what um, what is the total grain of your arrow? What's that weight?
1: Um, I don't know what it exactly. It's just over 300. I think, um, Alaska has specific regs on what grain arrow you can use, um, what length arrow, and then they have, you have to be able to pull back at least 50 pounds.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Good to have those, um, procedures and basically just have a, a minimum we do here in Oregon. I think most States do for bow hunting and, and for all sorts of weapons and stuff, but, Uh, definitely good to know and be diligent with um you know having those regs in mind i even like if i'm hunting a different state i'm always like okay i need to make sure the regs are downloaded or i've got them you know hard copy in the rig or something because there's so many different nuances sometimes too i feel like you know cutting diameter of a broadhead or whatever so it's it's good to have those things uh fresh and uh, up front for sure Um, Yeah,
1: I had to call fishing game a few times too, just to make sure that my answer, like what I was finding in the reg book was what I needed. Definitely. Absolutely. For sure. Okay. So you've got the transporter, you got the gear,
0: you're dialed in with your bow, you have your rifle for backup. It's game time. You're getting in. You guys are going to the hunt. What is going through your mind?
1: Oh man. Um, Excitement. I was so freaking stoked to get out and do something this crazy. (laughs) It is a hunt that is unlike any other. I mean, you're on snow machines traveling through um, tundra. It was insane. So I was so excited to be able to step away from life um, and just visit a small, quiet little island and harvest one heck of an animal.
0: So once you get out there, you get them spotted. What happens next?
1: oh man all right so we get off our snow machines and my transporter said you guys should head up this hill and see if you can find any so at this point everything is like still on the sled i've got my bow and gun in the case still get up to the top of this hill and all i see is a brown and boss so the boss is the horn of the muskox, and so i knew it was a bull so i just turned around i didn't take my binos out i just went and grabbed my bow came back up took a look through the binos. It's four bulls all together. You could tell that two of them were probably like five or six year old bulls. One of them stood out to be a little bit older and then one was pretty young. So at this point, we're like 150 yards away from them. And I put on our painter's suit. So I have this white painter's suit. Literally, this is tundra right? So it's just flat. There's nothing between me and these muskox. So I army crawled for like 50 minutes from 120 yards. I got into 55 yards. It took me forever and I was sweating at this point. And it was like 20 degrees out, which is a really, really warm day for Nunavac. And there was no wind. So I had taken my coat off and took my neck gator off and I was just crawling with my gloves, my release on and my bow. Are you and solo at this point? It sucks to army crawl and have to move your bow with you as
0: yeah. you're going. For sure. So are you by yourself then at this point?
1: Yeah, so Taylor's like 100 yards behind me filming, so he's got the GoPro out and my phone. So I'm going, and I'm like, man, my next move here is literally to stand up, but my goal was to get into about 30 yards before I took a shot.
0: Okay, so, pause, 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 pause. Were you not shitting your pants? Like, this thing could just want to run me over?
1: At this point, I wasn't because I knew they didn't see me, but... In the future, yes, I was. Okay.
0: (laughs) I just had to clarify because I was doing that right now listening to you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. At this point, I was cool because I knew that they couldn't see me. But uh, once I got into 55 yards, they, uh, they saw me move my bow and spooked, and so they ran. So for the most part, muskox aren't super aggressive, but they can be very territorial, and they do charge. So... This time, now Taylor catches up to me, we decide to split. So if you're thinking about a clock or like a pack of wolves, he goes to what you would say six o'clock and I go down a little bit and then try to pop up around 12 o'clock. I ended up coming up a little too close and I was probably at like two o'clock. I got into 38 yards but never had a shot. This was the first time that I was like, holy crap, there are four bulls looking at me that all weigh about 600 pounds and the only thing I have is a bow. (laughs) So I'm like, oh, man, this is getting intense. So it actually slipped out between us and ran again. This time, Taylor and I recoup. We're like, all right, let's try to get, like, perfectly aligned so that they get kind of just perfectly between us. So Taylor goes, wraps around behind him. I kind of stay where I'm at. I get into about 47 yards, and they take off again. This is the point. It's like the third time now, so I'm getting frustrated. And I'm like, man, should I just go grab my rifle? Should I just, just go drop him? I knew which one I wanted to take. He had white between his antler or between his um, horns, not his antlers. So I knew he was old. He kept stepping out from the other three. So we go back. Um, we get the uh, snow machine. So Taylor takes the snow machine, wraps it around to 6 o'clock. He gets off and walks to 9 o'clock, and then I'm kind of floating at like 3 or 4. This time, they kind of try to slip out between the snow machine and Taylor, but he runs and stops them. They stop. I'm able to move in. I ranged them at 40. Once I ranged them at 40, I, knew I would take 10 steps forward, took a few steps, pulled back. I felt my hat. And I was like, oh, no, oh, and I um, so I let down, ripped my hat off, threw it on the ground and pulled back again. This time, Taylor's on the other side of the bull. I want to shoot. So he before I pulled back, I waved to him that he needed to move to get out of the way. So I didn't shoot him. Mm-hmm. So he keeps moving a little bit. But I knew that I wanted to make my move quick so that they wouldn't run. This time, the bull is perfect broadside to me. He's kind of watching me. He's nervous that Taylor's on the other side of him. The other three muskox move just to the left. I double-check, look underneath his legs, make sure there's no muskox behind him. Pull back at 30 yards. Send my arrow down, goes straight through him. In my head, I'm like, knock another arrow, knock another arrow, knock another arrow. (laughs) So I pulled another arrow out. At the by the time I even got it knocked, the muskox had turned towards me. He was just pouring blood from his nose, and he dropped within 20 seconds. Wow! And I just threw my hands up and was like, "Dang! Oh my god! Holy cow!" Yeah, that was it. Dang!
0: So, how many days into the hunt were you at this point?
1: Um, so we flew in on Tuesday, we flew into Bethel on Tuesday, flew out to Nunavak on Wednesday, and Thursday was the first and the only day that we hunted.
0: Wow. Dang. That's so awesome. Now the work begins. What, what plays out
1: next? So my transformer is behind me, and he starts laughing, and he's like, I thought you missed. And I was like, what? He's like, I get a lot of people out here who have to throw like four arrows because they're um, so nervous that they like miss the, their shot. So I was like, no, I didn't miss. So we go over, we take some pictures with it. I'm still like shocked that I even just got this thing. He's beautiful and he's huge. So the uh, transporter brings his uh, snow machine around. We literally roll this muskox onto the snow machine, and then we hauled him back to the cabin that Taylor and I were staying at. And then um, once we got back to the cabin, we spent about two and a half hours breaking it down, pulled the hide off first, then we quartered it out. Um, I'm gonna do a Euro amount with it, so we um, took the head off and then just wrapped up the hide. Those two froze, and then we quartered out the front shoulders and the back legs. Cut out all of the rib meat, and then um, we saved some of the neck, S- saved most of the neck. There's a, some really good neck roasts in there. And then I um, took the heart and the liver out of it, and then the carcass was left there. But yeah we spent about two and a half three hours getting all of the meat into our totes and then um yeah enjoyed the rest of the night
0: well and I love that you really do think about using all of the animal like everything you know everything that can be used you pull the one question I did have you is did you take the tongue
1: I didn't I did not take the tongue I took I even asked my transporter I was like do people take like the liver the heart and he's like no most people don't and um i was kind of shocked and like most people will bone out the animal there too but i wanted to keep the bones because i like to make yeah. bone broth so i knew that we were just gonna like quarter it up and keep the bones and bring them home with us but yeah no i didn't take the ton. I
0: have um when I was a kid, my uncle prepared some, it was like some kind of a stir-fry or something, and he used beef tongue. And that's the only tongue I've ever had, but I think about it all the time with big game, you know, like should I take it? Should I try to do something to, you know, do something with it? I love the idea of using everything. I keep my bones to um anytime I'm able to, you know, save the organs, that kind of stuff. So um I love being able to use the whole animal. In fact, on my Oak, uh, this year I saved the hide too. just going to make a rug or do something with it you know something to honor the life of it so um, that's awesome I'm, I, I love that you do that and um, I really love that you encourage other people I saw on your Instagram the other day you know you talking about that which I know does inspire other people to think like hey I can save this stuff too or I can step outside of the box and try the heart you know because people are surprised when they do try it how much they like it.
1: Yeah, I love eating heart. Heart is one of my favorite parts of the animal. And the liver is always kind of one of those subjects that's a little tough um, because most people don't like liver. But if you can make a pate, it's seriously so nutrient dense. It's one of the best things you can put in your body. So if you can hide it and stuff it into like a meatloaf, there's no reason not to save it.
0: We'll have to get a good recipe from you for liver. That is definitely one that I don't like. I do save them because my mom does. So I'll save it and bless her heart, she takes it for me so I feel good about that. But we'll hit you up for some good recipes that we can include so people can try that with their next harvest. Or maybe they already have some in the freezer that they're just not sure what to do with it. Did you know ticks can cause life-threatening illness and disease? The great thing here is it can be prevented. No matter if you're hunting or just out on an epic adventure, you're likely to come into contact with ticks or be in tick-infested areas. They can be transmitted off of your body, your gear, or even your pets. I choose to use Sawyer insect repellent to keep my family and myself safe. Whether you're using permethrin spray, which can be put directly onto gear and will last up to six washes, or you're using the picaridin lotion, which is kid and pet safe, by the way, you're giving yourself a huge advantage in tick prevention. Head over to Sawyer.com to see what they've got going on and get your family protected from all things ticks. Talk a little bit about, so you said when I, when I got on the phone with you today that you've been working for like hours on end to pull um, some of the wool. So talk about that process and why you're doing that.
1: Yeah, so muskaks have a wool base layer underneath their guard hairs. Their guard hairs are the longer hairs that you see. The wool is called kibbut, um, and it's amazing. So it's softer than cashmere and it's extremely expensive if you buy it raw. So for hunters, you can harvest it yourself. There is a farm up here. So I live in the Valley in Alaska. In Palmer, there's a muskox farm. So I called them the other day. I was like, hey, I just harvested a muskox. I know that you guys have removed the kibbutt from your muskox. Can you do it for me or can somebody teach me? And she's like, well, here's a local contact you should call. She can help you do it. Okay. So I call this other lady and she tells me, go to Walmart, buy a metal comb, and then just sit down and start pulling it. She actually told me, she's like, you should find a 15 to 25 year old guy and have him do it because it's really hard. So, of (laughs) course, the independent person and myself was like, well, I'll just do it then. So I went to Walmart, got these combs, came back, and um, you cannot harvest the kibbutz once it's been tanned, and I knew that I wanted to get this tanned, so I'm kind of on a time crunch at this point. My um, hide is frozen still, so we had to thaw it out, but basically, it is one heck of a Um, progress you got to go in you got to start from the bottom you're basically brushing this muskox's hair and then trying to pick out all of the wool from the bottom and i've spent almost 20 hours pulling out and i think i've got maybe like 50 ounces of wool but one ounce of raw wool goes for just about 100 bucks so i was like i'm gonna i'm gonna do this
0: (laughs) that's awesome good for you heck yeah very cool. Are you so I asked you too on the phone, like, is it bothering your hands, your wrists, your elbows? Like, are you over it at this point? Or is it one of those things that as it's stacking up and you're getting more of it, you're like, oh, this is awesome. Yeah, yeah. So it's one
1: of those feelings. I feel like as a hunter, the more you can harvest from an animal that you take is. It's more rewarding so every time I pull hair out I'm like god this is so cool and it just never stops so I don't even know when to stop because it just keeps coming out but no my hand I've got a blister on my pinky from the way that I'm holding the comb but um, I actually feel like I just did a thousand push-ups because my back my upper back is sore like I just done so much work but yeah other than that it doesn't it doesn't suck too much i actually started sitting on the hide so it's a little bit more comfortable on my hips and my lower back but that's definitely labor intensive
0: dang how are you gonna trump this like what's next for you
1: oh my gosh (laughs) i don't even know it's literally a once in a lifetime hunt taylor and i were talking about it um being able to trumpet my somebody asked me what my dream hunt was and the muskox hunt wasn't even my dream hunt my dream hunt is to go hunt in south africa i want to shoot a kudu um but yeah if i can ever get the chance to do that that would be that would be how i would top this hunt but this hunt is going to be dang near impossible to top so cool well so it
0: sounds like taylor filmed it so you will be releasing it where can people find it once it's out
1: yeah so I'm going to post it to my IGTV on Instagram and then I'll also post it on YouTube so YouTube is Brittany Lewick and then um, Instagram is Britt Lewick
0: so awesome well I will be sure to post that up on our Instagram too or at least put out a teaser so people can go and see it Um, you also have some other hunts on there um, that I know of anyways you have your um, goat hunt that you did off Kodiak last year what else do you have on there
1: yeah, so we did our goat hunt. Taylor and I went caribou hunting last August as well. Um, I share a lot of tips. We get a lot of meat from, Taylor's a guide up here, so we get a lot of meat from this hunting. Um, I've got blacktail hunting. We did some elk hunting when we lived in Portland. So really, you can find a lot of different stuff. I spend most of my summer fishing, so can get the whole entire Alaska life up here on my page.
0: So awesome. Well, we will be up there soon. Hopefully I can peek by and visit with you a little bit in person, maybe come hit a workout with you, but tell people one more time where they can find you Find you on Instagram.
1: Instagram is Britt Lewick. My last name is L-U-E-C-K. And so it's B-R-I-T-T-L-U-E-C-K.
0: Perfect. And I will also link to that in the show notes. Thank you so much. I will let you get back to pulling all of the wool soaking up the experience and just like living in this moment, this once in a lifetime moment. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Thanks Courtney. Once again, thank you for tuning into the show. We hope that your cup is full and you're ready to embrace your untamable vibe. If you enjoyed the show, could you do us a favor? Help us grow our audience by sharing your favorite episode on social media, sending the episode to a friend and leaving us a review online. We love to hear from you. One more thing, be sure to press that subscribe button and never miss a weekly episode. See you next week.